Here First is sponsored by UCS Healthcare, proudly delivering healthcare services across Iowa, specializing in mental health, substance use disorder treatment, and medical care with a special focus on LGBTQIA plus healthcare. More at ucsonline.org. Today is Friday. It's the 13th of October. This is Here First from IPR News. I'm Clay Masters. The latest figures for Iowa's new education savings accounts show 18,893 students are approved for state funding to put toward private school tuition. In the first year of the program, each ESA is worth $7,635. Lawmakers approved an unlimited appropriation for the ESA program, but the number of approved applications exceeds what was budgeted by nearly $37 million. It's not clear where the final cost of the program will land because it depends how many students approved for ESAs successfully enroll in private schools. The Department of Education says those enrollment figures will be released in December, along with student numbers for all K-12 schools statewide. State employment numbers remain strong, but there's trouble on the horizon. Unemployment in Iowa was at 2.9 percent in September compared to the national average, 3.8 percent. But many Iowa employers are dealing with a rapidly aging workforce. At a meeting of the state's Revenue Estimating Conference yesterday, member David Underwood says he heard a presentation last week from a manufacturer in northern Iowa. They said what's really scary is is we just kind of took a look at the age of our current workforce, and we realized that in the next three years, we're going to have to hire about 20 percent of the people back again just because of retirements. And you know, that's going to be a real challenge for them, let alone trying to grow. Underwood says automation is the answer for many companies, but they're having a hard time raising capital because of high borrowing rates. Governors from Iowa, Nebraska, and South Dakota met on Wednesday in Sioux City to discuss issues impacting the tri-state area known as Siouxland. As IPR's Sheila Brummer reports, local leaders want to ensure the community's air guard unit stays put. The commander of the 185th Refueling Wing, Colonel Sonia Morrison, urged the governors to advocate for a new runway, a project she says is long overdue and needed to keep the unit viable. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds says she's been working with the state's federal delegation to get funding for the air guard. Around $185 million has been requested. This isn't an earmark. It's not new money. It's money that was promised uh, 20 years ago. The 185th transitioned from F-16s to refueling tankers, and the runway isn't long or wide enough to allow the planes to take off fully fueled. Presidential candidate Ron DeSantis is buying $2 million in advertising in Iowa. The DeSantis campaign made the announcement for the ad buy yesterday. Last week, the Florida governor announced he was moving a third of his campaign staff to Des Moines, signaling he sees the Hawkeye state as important for his chances against former President Donald Trump. A Waterloo nurse has pleaded guilty to stealing pain medication from at least 50 women while working in a labor and delivery unit. IPR's Natalie Krebs has those details. Christina Eileen Olson was convicted in a Cedar Rapids federal court of three counts related to stealing pain medication and falsifying health records. Federal prosecutors say from January to March 2022, Olson used her nursing license to obtain narcotics from the hospital's labor and delivery unit where she worked. Instead of administering the medication to women who had recently given birth, she took it for her own use, replacing the vials with saline, and tampered with records to cover her actions. Olson voluntarily surrendered her Iowa nursing license in July 2022. 
She will be sentenced by a federal judge at a later date. Olson faces up to 12 years in prison and a fine of up to $750,000. And a school in Marion is closed to students the rest of the week after Wednesday's storm caused several parts of the school's roof to collapse. The Cedar Rapids Gazette reports contractors were at Francis Marion Intermediate School yesterday to survey the damage and determine a cost estimate and timeline for repairs. This is Here First from IPR News. I'm Clay Masters. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. When crop prices or harvests get low enough, the government sends money to qualifying farmers to get them through tight years. It's a farm bill program called Title I. As lawmakers negotiate a new farm bill, farmers are pushing to get more Title I money. Harvest Public Media's Elizabeth Rimbert takes us back to how the program began and where it's at today. During World War I, farmers grew vast amounts of wheat, answering the call from the U.S. government to feed hungry troops and allies. This war is a people's war. The final outcome will be determined in the factories, the mills, the farms. When the war ended in 1918, demand went with it. Prices collapsed and farmers burned their grains as fuel instead of selling it for a low price. Many farmers went bankrupt even before endless dust storms started stirring up soil in parts of the Great Plains. The heart of the nation, the Dust Bowl. Millions of tons of sand and grit darkened the sky and smothered countless farms. Cattle were starving by the thousands. It was stark tragedy. You had this catastrophe on top of the economic catastrophe, which was driving farmers into bankruptcy and out of business. Jonathan Coppice is an ag policy expert at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign and says one way the government stepped in was to pay farmers to plant fewer crops. It was an industrial model. Like, take Ford Motor Company. If Ford Motor Company is, has too many cars on the market and it's depressing prices, what do they do? Well, they lay off workers and they close plants and try to bring the supply back down. Ninety years later, the government still wants to help farmers through tough years. But now, instead of controlling supply, the government just pays farmers when crop prices dip below a certain level or revenue goes under a set amount. But it's been a while since prices went low enough for Chris Tanner, a farmer in northwest Kansas, to get one of those checks. I haven't received payment in probably the last four to five years. The reason being is the reference price is far too low. Reference prices are what trigger payments under Title I, the Farm Bill program that sends those checks. They're only set during Farm Bill negotiations every five years, and they're pretty low compared to today's high crop prices and costly farming expenses. Most farmers would go bankrupt before Title I support kicks in, according to Anastasia Meyer with the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. This is not going to save any farmers if prices really go downhill fast. Okay, so let's say that, for an example, we are... She's pulled out her laptop to look at a map with data on harvests, reference prices, and guaranteed revenue in southeast Nebraska. On average, farmers here would have to lose half their corn harvest to get $50 an acre in one program. That doesn't go very far when they're spending hundreds per acre to raise the corn. These are not 
making anybody rich by any means. From his farm in Kansas, Tanner puts it more strongly. Title I does not work. I kind of jokingly referred to it, if we don't get the reference price raised, it's not a safety net, it's a safety asphalt. They've been saying that for 40 years. Bruce Babcock is skeptical of raising reference prices after years studying ag policy at Iowa State University. He says it's a waste, especially amid high commodity prices that have boosted farm incomes. Look at the price of corn. Look at the price of soybeans. Look at the price of wheat. Babcock says the Title I money is no strings attached and doesn't even make a big difference in farmers' bottom lines. He wishes it was tied to environmental practices, preventing pollution, investing in butterfly habitats. You know, anything. You got a big budget, why not buy something for that money? But Coppice says there's an argument that Title I protects the food supply in tough years by keeping some farms above the waterline. It's relatively cheap social insurance, kind of ensuring that, well, at the very least, we're keeping some farms in operation and we, we shouldn't have the problem. Relatively cheap social insurance? That still costs billions of dollars annually at a time when lawmakers are eyeing spending cuts. For Harvest Public Media, I'm Elizabeth Rembert. Harvest Public Media is a collaboration of public media newsrooms across the Midwest and Great Plains, including IPR News, covering agriculture, food systems, and rural issues. And now we need to issue a correction to yesterday's episode. The incorrect last name was used for the Davenport girl whose remains were found in a pond in 2021. Her name is Briasia Terrell, and IPR News regrets the error. You are listening to Hear First, a podcast from IPR News, which you can find wherever you subscribe to them. For news anytime, you can always go to our website, ipr.org. I'm Clay Masters. Thanks for listening this week.